Well, let's go in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. The last verse there, Matthew chapter 5. We've been in this chapter of the greatest sermon ever preached, as many uh, Bible scholars call the Sermon on the Mount. And it was preached by the greatest preacher, which is Jesus himself. And here we come to the very last verse, verse number 48 in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to connect it back to what is almost a hidden book in there in verse 20. Let's read this. Verse 48, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus concludes and says, quote, you therefore must be what? Perfect. Not, not just perfect as we understand it, but look at the qualifier here. As your heavenly father is perfect. Let's go back to verse 20. This is Jesus speaking of fulfilling the law, that Jesus didn't come to scuttle and sink and destroy the Old Testament, but Jesus came to say, let me tell you what God actually meant, not what your religious teachers have told you it means. Notice in verse 20, Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness, what, it exceeds, goes above and beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will win. Never enter the kingdom of heaven. Simply put, Jesus is saying that unless you are far more perfect than the most moral person you have ever known, and not only that, unless you get to be just like God, you are going to hell. Good morning, church. If you have your your outline, I want you to follow along with us this morning. There's a statement in there by an amazing preacher who, who died several years ago, Adrian Rogers. And Lee is the one who actually gave me this quote. It is so fantastic. He says, Adrian Rogers says, says there is no one so bad he cannot be saved and no one so good he need not be saved. Let's read that one more time. There is no one so bad that he cannot be saved and no one so good that he need not be saved. Now, Brother Leroy, powerful testimony. Amen, church? I mean, man, that stories like that illustrate the gospel. That it does not matter how much you have sinned, even if you are like Paul, who says, I am the chief, I am the captain, I'm the top dog of sinners. In other words, I have a PhD, I teach the PhDs in sinning, even if you're like Paul. And by the way, don't most all of us feel that way when God begins to draw us to salvation? We begin to think, like we come to church, we say, oh my word, somebody gave Jeff the password to my email account. And my Facebook. And it, it, he's been reading my mail. They've got a, they've got a snooping committee at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Like, I don't even know that dude. He's jumping around the stage like, how, how does he know me? I mean, I've had so many people say that. Listen, I don't. But the word of God, not Jeff speaking. Not, 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 not the music, but the word of God, the gospel has the power to read us the right act. But to do it in such a way, brother Leroy, to let us know you're not too far gone. And if you're in that class, if you're in that group that says, Jeff, you don't understand what I've done. Obviously, obviously I couldn't be perfect. 
In fact, I, I am the poster child for the anti-type of Mr. or Miss Perfect. God, I don't know what God could do with me. You don't know where I've been. God does. And listen, some people, there's pride on both ends of the spectrum. And we're going to jump into this, but let me just set the stage. We have two opposite ends of the spectrum. One is a prideful arrogance that some of us have to say, I am a good, upstanding, moral person. I understand no one could be like God, but I, hey, if there's any way to be good enough, I'm good. I'm not like him. I'm not like her. I'm not like that group of people. Listen, that is absolutely saturated in pride. And if you do not today, if you do not humble yourself and submit yourself before Jesus Christ and say, I can bring no goodness to you. Just the fact that I've been faithful to the person that I'm pursuing or the person that I'm married to, just the fact that I don't continually cheat on my taxes year after year, just the fact that you have kept me from killing somebody actually is just evidence of your grace. You come to Him and you let Him know that there's nothing good you bring to the table. Some people say we got to swallow that pride. Don't swallow it. It'll make you sick. Amen? regurgitate it and get that mess out and experience the cleansing of Christ. He's saying, look, you have to be perfect. And then on the other end of the spectrum, do you realize that, like Brother Leroy's testimony, all the places that he had been, all the drugs, divorces, stealing from the church, collections, offerings, all of that, for someone who has been down that road to say, Jeff, you don't understand how great of a sinner I am. I don't think God can save me. Do you know what you're saying? You're saying, God, even though you say you will save to the uttermost, you can't do it with me. In other words, my sin is greater than your power to forgive. That's what we say when we bring our baggage and our sin and our past to God and say, God, I just really don't think that you can do this. We okay? I just, in in preparing for this, as we've walked through Matthew 5, verse by verse and word by word, and these teachings of Jesus so radically rock the boat of our life. I mean, where Jesus says, man, lust is like adultery, and anger is like murder, and having to give oaths so that people know that you're really not trying to swindle them out of a deal. All of that just cuts right to the heart, and I think some of us may miss Some of us may miss what Jesus is saying in this greatest of sermons. And we may conclude, as as the title of our message is today, Perfection, Morality in the Gospel. If we come to this conclusion, Jesus wants me to be a good person. We have totally missed the gospel. Jesus does not want you to change your life. He does not want you to adopt good habits. He does not want you to stop doing the old things and start the new things and have a new you He wants you to come to him and acknowledge that you can never reach his point of perfection. The point of Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, and the whole Bible. Please hear this. I love you guys, man. Just seeing God work among us, it's an amazing thing. But I I, I fear, I fear that some of you don't get it. Some of you think that the message of God and the fact that so many of you, we are so blessed to have some of you consider yourself unchurched or de-churched like you had been out of church for a long time and god spoke to your heart and now you're plugged in and you're serving please hear me whether you have recently started coming back to church or whether you've been here for 80 years 
The message of Jesus is not God coming down and being like, all right, get it together. You know, like you're a kid and you got the mess in the room and the parents come in and they see it and they're like, there's, get it together, I'm coming back in 10 minutes. And then they come back, they say, get it together or you're going to get a spanking or you're going to get timeout. Or like Tim Talkins says, my parents didn't do timeout, they did knockout. And we think that God is coming to just check and be like, okay, here, here, do this and do this and do this. How's your report card of, of morality going? How's your moralistic, good person, anti-bad person life going? That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that you're not only not good, but you're an enemy and rebel of God. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Now, here, this is where the message begins to pivot when we ask, okay, well, what does Jesus actually mean? What does the word in the original language mean when it refers to perfect? Well, the meaning of perfect basically has two, I guess, a watershed, um, forward operating basis, so to speak, two, two main definitions. One would be that the word perfect here, it's telos, which for those of you that are apologetics, Christian philosophy nerds, the teleological argument is the argument from design about how we, especially uh, those of you who are in high school and middle school, you learn in your science classes. And Brittany, you're a science teacher, and how cool is that? Because when we really study science as the way it should be studied, we learn how amazing God created this whole universe. I mean, the teleological argument gives us evidence of fine-tuning, and I don't want to get off on that, but... Fine-tuning is a fact. In other words, the the universe is fine-tuned. Physical laws, constants, and so forth. And then from fine-tuning, you can conclude that because it's fine-tuned, there's probably a designer. Y'all following me? And then you say, okay, well, which designer is it? We've got all the religions in the world. Let's just cut to the chase. Which one claimed to be not just a prophet? Not just a messenger. Jesus. Which one said crazy stuff about I'm going to die and then come back from the dead? Jesus. Which one do we have evidence that actually really lived and really said what he said? Jesus. Which one do we have evidence of the most reasonable conclusions that he actually died and rose from the dead? Jesus Christ. And the only one who can save us is, help me out church. Jesus, so man, you can go from science to God in a heartbeat if you're willing to examine the evidence. So telos in the Greek New Testament means being mature. This is a really interesting definition, being mature, full-grown, mature, or an adult. So in other words, those of you with teenagers, you have a new parenting term. You can, when they're acting teenager-ish, that's a new word. No, the English teachers don't like that. Teenager-ish. You can just come into their room and scream, Tell us! Which means maturity, and then you can leave. But then again, you may not want to do that if you actually want to raise your child right. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Here's a way that this word is used. The Bible says, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So one way that this word perfect or telos is used, it means to come to a full maturity in your walk with Jesus. Another reference, Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. 
The Apostle Paul writes, Epaphras, one of his friends, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That's a good word, is it not? When we pray for people, it doesn't need to be one of those prayers that we pray right before we're ready to do some damage at Hibachi Grill. Can I preach for just a minute? Some of y'all have a bad habit of judging people. Because when you're out with somebody who really likes to pray and they're about to eat and the meal is there and it's steaming and it's piping hot and it's good. Or if you're at one of the 50 Mexican restaurants we have in the great metropolis of Rocky Mount and they bring out your lunch enchiladas and it's still steaming there on the plate and they begin to pray a five minute prayer. You're thinking, pray after. Some of y'all act like you never do that. God knows your heart. But we should struggle for people in our prayers because we love them. And it says that you may stand. Here it is. That you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. James chapter 1 verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect. There's the word. The same word for perfection but it's translated have its full effect. That you may be same word. Perfect. Translated two different ways but it's the same idea of maturity in Christ that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. In other words, one of the senses that this word is used in the New Testament is God's desire is that once you get saved that you would not remain a baby in Christ. There's nothing wrong with being a baby. In fact, I am a uh, uncle deuce. Yes, little Hannah. Thank you. Thank you. Little Hannah Lee Robinson. And she was born um, on, uh, I believe it was Thursday. And um, it was it was killing me. I was like, I, I want to fly down there, but I've already committed to the youth rally on, on Friday night. And, you know, as a part of the band. And I said to somebody, man, some kids better get saved on Friday night or I'm drop kicking somebody. I mean, I don't even care. I want to be there with that baby, so um, just pray for me as I deal with myself before I'm able to get down there. Let me just say a note there. Um, I have a picture. We may show it um, next time on the screen. She was a little late getting here. She was chilling, and my brother and his wife, they're related to us. He's my brother, and they're crazy. So she's like, I'm not sure I want to get into this mess yet. So she was just chilling. And I amazing, amazing. She looked like, I mean, a baby that was like six months old. Her facial features. It's awesome. Um, just just another drop, just another um, statement that, that abortion um, is murder. Okay? They are fully human. And I'm just going to drop this and let it simmer. Our president still, you say, now Jeff, you're getting, no, 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 this is not political. This is, this is biblical. This is, this is moral. This is, this is natural law. Still will not remove himself from the position of saying that you can remove the entire child except for the head. Insert forceps behind the back of the skull and take the life of the child. That should sicken us. And it should not cause us to be moved to violence. It should cause us as Epaphras who was struggling on their behalf in his prayers. That we should, every single woman that walks in here who has had an abortion, our arms should be open with the love of Jesus Christ and say the blood of Jesus cleanses all sins. As one of my friends in South Carolina who counseled his girlfriend to get an abortion before they were married, he says there's a lot of men today that they will never let anybody know that they were the ones who counseled and pushed their wife or girlfriend to get an abortion. Listen, if you are that guy, 
The blood of Jesus forgives and cleanses all sin. And as we, the old songs say, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. It is totally level. With that being said, we give mercy and we give grace to those who are repentant. But we also must, Proverbs 24, stand up for those who have no voice. And if that doesn't move us, it means that our, our internal radar of right and wrong is seriously jacked up. All right? Now, let's thank you. One amen. Perfect. Not only does it have the idea of Christian maturity, but perfect also has, in the way that Jesus uses it, if you're taking notes in Matthew 19.21, he uses it in the sense of perfectly fulfilling the law. Rich young ruler, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Remember the guy? He's like, man, how can I get in? Jesus is like, well, what is the law? He's like, well, you know, honor your father and your mother and don't do this and don't do this and do, do the good things. And Jesus says, okay, you know, how's that working? And he says, I've done all these things for my youth. And Jesus says, um, there's one thing. You see, G- Jesus knows the heart. He knew that the issue was control. And let's just be honest. We, hey, at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we make absolutely no apologies asking you to give to missions. Asking you to give to the, to the Gideons, to ushers. Be ready to pounce like a lion on the Discovery Channel on people. Just kidding. At the doors, when we finish this service, ushers, you should already be in place. Get your plates ready because that's where we're going to be able to give to the Gideons. And not only that, it's an awesome group of people because there's no preachers allowed. Some of y'all don't know whether to laugh or to cry on that one. It's for it's for businessmen who are not clergy at all. Some of you guys, man, God could be leading you today. Talk to Lee, talk to Leroy, and you can join up. They give away the Bible, praise God. See, Jesus knows Jesus knows the heart. And often we come to church and we say, preachers is talking about money. We don't play the money game and we don't talk about money all the time. We say, you know, money is what Jesus talked about and, and give it because it's a way of worship, a way to show reverence, a way to show what we truly value in our lives. We say, well, all, all that church is concerned about is money. No, we're not. And often when we say things like that, all that's letting us know is that we have a control issue. Are we okay in the house this morning? Jesus doesn't want your money. He has enough. Right? Jesus wants us to come to the point to where we realize we could never be tell us. We could never be perfect according to the law. So, you know, Jeff, How do we become, in the other sense, how do we become mature in Christ? We come to the place to where we say, Jesus, I will no longer misunderstand you. I will no longer go down the road of moralism. Moralism simply means being a good person. And it says that being a good, nice person is enough to get into heaven. Many people in church, they miss the whole point of the gospel. They've gone to church their whole lives. And they say, you know what, I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to improve my life. Listen. The gospel is not about you improving your life one bit. The gospel is about you receiving a new life in Christ. And it is, I mean, the Lord has has done some amazing things among us. Right, church? I mean, we, I don't even know what time it is. It's three minutes after 12. We could be here all day and all night telling about the things that God has allowed us to see, the lives changed, the families, students, the dads, the dads who have come and said, I 
need to give my life to Christ. And the family changes. But listen, if through all of that we conclude that God just simply wants us to be better people, we miss the gospel. And the gospel, if you really want to be accurate, you know what Jesus says? He says, you therefore be perfect for your Father in heaven, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. If you want to be in, then just be perfect. That's it. Don't you love that tongue-in-cheek humor in a sense? And you know what the people are thinking? Like, Jesus, you said that, man, lust is as adultery and anger is as murder. I can't even do those things. And now you tap it off at the end with saying, just be perfect. I can't be perfect. That's the point. That's the point. Listen, and if you are asked the question, do you have a relationship with God? Are you on your way to heaven? Are you a follower of Jesus? And you say yes, and somebody asks you why, and your answer is like this. Well, because I'm a good person. I try to do the right thing. I try. Listen, you haven't understood the gospel. You're still looking at the mirror of yourself. And if you have not come to the point to where you have accepted the fact that you could never be good enough and you could never be moral enough, you're still in your sins and you're on your way to hell. Now, regardless of the missions offerings, regardless of being involved with the Gideons, regardless of coming and singing the praise songs and the classic hymns, all of that doesn't matter. Right, Jeff, why do you get so worked up? Because of the statistics that we see and the answers that we hear. That it's, it's about, well, I think that I'm becoming a better person. No! The gospel destroys that whole notion. You see, moralism tells us, well, just don't break the law. And Jesus says, go the second mile because I went the whole way for you. Here's another example. Moralism says don't treat others badly, but the gospel says God can change your heart so that we even forgive our enemies. Come on now. Somebody's talking crazy loony talk. Forgive your enemies? Are you smoking what? Are you kidding? No! If anything, we just cut the relationship and throw them on the ash heap of people that I'm done with. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Not only do you forgive them or release them, but you pursue them through praying for them. And not that their house burns up while they're inside. Some of you are like, man, you're going to have to change my prayer list now. But praying the best thing for them as we stay the last two weeks, which is praying for them to come to repentance. And you see, moralism, if you've been raised, you know, you hear this in the South, I've been raised right, or he or she, they've been raised right. And you've been raised to be a dignified person. Listen, it's not enough. You still come up short. Moralism says... Well, don't complain in the face of suffering. But go with me very quickly to Matthew chapter 5 and verse, uh, this is awesome, verse number 10. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, righteousness sake, for theirs is the what church? The kingdom of heaven. Not only that, he takes it a step further, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, against you what? Falsely. That means people who gossip and slander about you. And he says, for the sake of the gospel, he says in verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. The gospel says don't just bear suffering with strength and dignity. You know, moralism even says just face death with dignity. The gospel says rejoice in suffering. The gospel says when you come to that last 
that, that last minute of the fourth quarter of your life. The gospel says, Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Augustine said this, if you believe what you like in the gospels in the Bible and reject what you don't, it's not the gospel you believe but yourself. See, moralism takes comfort in personal achievements, saying, look at what I've done, look at how far I've come, look at all of the habits that I've changed. But the gospel places faith in Christ's perfection alone. You say, Jeff, what makes the difference? Are you saying that God doesn't want me to be a good person? No, I'm saying that when you really get saved, not when you get religion or when you just get christened or baptized or join a church, whatever those things may symbolize. But when you come to the end of yourself and you see yourself as having nothing to offer God and you fall upon His mercy and His mercy alone and you stop comparing yourselves to other people and you say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's when the change begins. Moralism will tempt you to look into the mirror and say, I think I'm a good person. I think I'm doing well because I'm not like those people. Whereas the gospel directs the eyes of your heart to Jesus and to say, he's the only chance I've got. He's the only chance I've got. And he's not just a chance. He's a certain Lord and Savior. Al Mohler said this, quote, hell will be highly populated with those who were raised right. Let me give that to you one more time. Hell will be highly populated with those who were raised right. When Jesus says you must be perfect to enter the kingdom of heaven, he meant it. And he also meant everything else that he inspired through his spirit in the Bible. That there is not one person that can be justified by the deeds of the law. That's why every single one of you, regardless of your amount of church involvement, must come to a place of repentance before Jesus and Jesus alone and say, Jesus, please save me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And it's from that point that when God looks at you in Christ, when his blood covers your sin, you are, through Jesus, perfect. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. We come to this time of commitment and invitation. Kind of the book ends for this message is that there's... As Dr. Rogers says, no one's so bad that they cannot be saved and no one's so good that they need not be saved. The question is, where do you fall in on, on that spectrum? I'm sure many of you could say, well, I've been, quote unquote, raised right. I've not been involved in certain things. And, and even Brother Leroy's testimony, I could, I could understand certain parts of that, but I, I've not been down the roads that he's been down. People know me. They trust me as an honest business person. I've been faithful to my family. But I realize today that even my involvement in a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church has never been has never been covered by an experience with Jesus Christ to where I came to the end of myself and I truly repented and I turned my life over to Him. Because I knew that I could never, I could never, ever, ever be what He says I must be to enter into heaven. God is speaking to you. You may have been raised right, but you've never been truly, truly 
saved, truly changed. And you've bought into the lie of moralism to where, I mean, it may even be the way that you've raised or raising your children to where you say, hey, this is the right thing to do. Do the right thing for the right purpose. And where Jesus is an afterthought today, God is calling you to give up moralism and receive Jesus Christ. Repent, turn to him. And regardless if, of your background, Jesus is calling you today to trust him. And what we're going to do We're going to stand and sing a song here in just a few moments. We're not going to manipulate anybody. And when we begin to sing this song about Christ, I'm going to be standing here at the front, and we're going to ask you to come forward. If God has has worked upon your heart, if you've given your life to him, there may be some of you, you say, Jeff, I have been saved, but I know that this is the church where God would have me to come be a part of. Why don't you come? There may be others of you that when you saw Mike and Ashley follow in believer's baptism, you said, I need to do that. I know I've trusted Christ. I know I've come to the end of myself. And I need to follow in believer's baptism to be immersed. Why don't you come? And for those that need, you know that you need to give your life to Christ. And everything needs to become brand new. You know you don't need to start just coming to the church. Or you don't just need to start these good things. But you need Jesus to take control of your life. Control of your relationships, your marriage. In this moment right now, give your life to Christ. Say, Jesus, be merciful to me. Save me, Jesus. It's not a magic prayer, but it is simply a commitment, repentance, a turning from yourself to him right now. Father, we pray that when we begin to sing and this invitation is given, That you would bring every single person here who needs to make a commitment to you. And not only that, Lord, but as we read in that that side reference verse of Epaphras who, 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 who was struggling in his prayers for people. Lord, the ones among us that need to come and pray for people that are far from you. People who may think that they are good enough to get in. God, would you help us to have a spirit of humility and just to come and pray and ask for you to intervene in the lives of the ones that we know. And we ask that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen.